are listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. Oh God, you are a God worthy to be praised. You are a God of wonder. As we think upon your character, you are a God of wonder. What God has loved like you. What God has shown faithfulness like you. What God has shown mercy like you. What God has revealed such power like you. You are a God of wonder in all the the great and mighty deeds you have done throughout history. You created the world with just your word. You redeemed the people with your outstretched arm. You sent forth your son, born of a virgin. You conquered sin and death and Satan through his weakness. So we praise you. Who is like you? And so we make our boast in you, O God. We are made glad. We magnify you. Your word says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And Father, it is our desire to taste and know you in all that you are and all that you have done. And we desire to take refuge in you. Oh, Father, would you teach us how to fear you? Would you teach us how to walk before you in humility and love? Will you teach us how to walk wisely in this wicked world? Would you guard our steps and would you keep us from slipping? We take comfort knowing that your eyes are always towards the righteous and you hear our cries. We take comfort in knowing that the Lord redeems the life of his servants and none who take refuge in him will be condemned. We lay that to heart today. We rest in your gospel promises. We need them. Oh, Father, we need your work in our lives right now, today. We think about all the things that have happened to us this week or all the things that have happened to us today. We need you to work in our hearts and in our minds today. We desire to do business with the Lord Jesus Christ in this text that you set before us as we walk into this passion scene. Father, we want to do business with Jesus. And so we pray that you would meet us powerfully, that you would give us faith, that you give us repentance, and that you would fill our hearts with love. We pray that your word would do its great and powerful work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, if you have your Bibles... Open them up, Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be reading, starting in verse 43, all the way through verse 72. So Mark 14, starting in verse 43. 
Let's give ourselves to the word of God. Hear, hear our God's word. Mark chapter 14, verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, and with, the, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against, robber, against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the, with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and he made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word now. Amen. So all that takes place in Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 15, Mark chapter 16 comes at us at a furious pace. We quickly move from scene to scene. We quickly move from event to event. For a few brief moments, we find ourselves at dinner with Jesus. 
First at Bethany, then in Jerusalem. Then we're quickly ushered out to the Mount of Olives where sleep overtook the disciples and we found Jesus praying alone to the Father. And no sooner did we get our bearings in the dark with Jesus in the, in the, the Mount of Olives does Judas appear with a crowd coming to capture Jesus. And, and there Jesus is captured and he is led to trial before the, the Jewish leaders and Rome. And both the Jewish and the Rome, Roman legal proceedings move with haste and determination. Probably the only time in human history legal proceedings have moved that quickly. And then Jesus is promptly executed and then he's buried and then we move to chapter 16 and the greatest surprise ending ever happens. Jesus is raised from the dead. And so what we find are the most significant acts of Jesus' life all packed into these, these three chapters. And as Christians, these three chapters ought to be exceedingly precious to us. Here we find the, the raw materials of our salvation. Here we find the fulfillment of the scriptures. Here we find what our souls desperately need. We find the love and the mercy of God revealed plainly. Here we find the bright and glowing rays of God's glory, his beauty. Here we find a never-ending source of delight and joy. Borrowing from the look of, book of Exodus, we could say this. We ought to take off our sandals when we tread on these three chapters, for they are like treading on holy ground. These are precious, precious chapters because of the events and deeds that they record about the Lord Jesus. And because of the extreme preciousness of these events in the Gospel of Mark, I as a preacher want to get out of the way so that you might experience these texts as much as possible. Just as you don't go to a football game to, to look at the announcer, or just as you don't go on a road trip to stare at a road map, I want your focus to be fixed upon one matter as we walk through these three chapters. I want you to be doing business directly with the Lord Jesus Christ that you will find in your open Bibles. And as we think about this, there's only one thing that really matters in this life, and it's this doing business with this Jesus that we find revealed in Mark chapter 14, 15, and 16. And so the great question that I want you to be asking yourself as we move through these stories is this. Will these events, Jesus' betrayal, his trial, his death, his resurrection, will these events move you to faith and repentance or not? And as we move through these scenes, we need to be asking ourselves, will all of these events, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, his betrayal, his trial, his denial, will they move me to love the Lord Jesus Christ more or not? That's all that matters in this life. And so here's a very simple outline. The theme that unites our text, so looking at verses 43 through 74, is the theme of a fulfillment. And so throughout Jesus' ministry, he has been operating according to a predetermined plan. Jesus isn't freelancing as he goes through ministry. He isn't making things up as he goes along. Rather, Jesus devotes himself to the will of God, the will of God as revealed in Scripture. And so throughout the Gospel of Mark, throughout the Gospel stories, we find Jesus pressing in to the will of God. There is Jesus in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. And what does Jesus do? He presses into the will of God. There is Jesus and his disciples want him to become a wonder worker of sorts. Everyone is seeking you, Jesus. But Jesus presses into the will of God. 
There is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with the pain and the agony of the cross coming upon him. And what do we find Jesus doing? Well, he he presses into the will of God. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And so we see Jesus is a servant devoted to the will of God. But we also have to stress there's something else going on here. As we move through the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus himself expounds the will of God. He has done this in his kingdom pronouncements, in his gospel preaching. He has done this as he's spoken parables to the crowds. He has done this in his private instruction to the disciples. In fact, we have found Jesus making very specific prophecies in the book of Mark. He has told us who is going to betray him. He has told us who is going to deny him. He has told us how he will be treated by Israel's leaders and the Gentiles. And so we see that Jesus is not only the servant of God, but he himself contributes to the will of God. And so we see the theme of fulfillment in this text. And our aim is to key in on this theme of fulfillment. And we're going to work through our text in three phases. First, we're just going to listen to the story. We're just going to work through it really slowly trying to pay attention to it. Second, we're going to ask a theological question. We're going to ask, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? And then third, we're going to do some application. Really simple question we're going to ask. Do you love this Jesus? Do you love this Jesus? So let's give ourselves to the text. So as we look at our text, the whole, verses 43 through 74, these, these verses can be broke up into three chunks, three distinct scenes. The betrayal of Jesus, the trial, the proceedings before the, the Jewish authorities, and then the denial of Jesus. And so we can start with the first scene, the betrayal of Jesus. So as we enter into this scene, we have to remember that Jesus' men are weary, Their feet are are tired from traveling and their hearts are heavy from all of the sharp words that Jesus has spoken to them. And their stomachs are, are full from the feast of the Passover. And the result is that they are sleepy and they cannot keep watch. And they cannot keep watch physically and they cannot keep watch spiritually. And so they have no idea what's going to happen next. Verse 43. And immediately while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And so the lack of preparation on the disciples' part is evident as we look into this text. They're they're frightened, they're, they're bewildered, they're panicked, and their actions prove it. Look at verse 47. One of the disciples pulls out a sword and has this futile act of self defense, and he lops off the ear of one of the arresting party. Then we look at verse 50. All the followers of Jesus flee from the scene of arrest. And then verses 51 and 52, this strange scene where this, this young man flees from the scene naked. What is Mark telling us in this scene? He's saying all of Jesus' followers are unprepared. They're unprepared. But Jesus stands in direct contrast to these men. He's prepared. He's ready. Why? Because everything that is happening around him is happening according to the predetermined plan of God as revealed in the scriptures, just as Jesus spoke. And so Judas Judas comes to Jesus and he, he kisses him. And Judas comes to Jesus and he greets him. He says, Rabbi. The crowd seizes him. But Jesus doesn't flinch. He doesn't panic. He doesn't run. 
Jesus knew his betrayer. Remember what Jesus said at the Passover meal, chapter 14, verse 18. Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Jesus was ready for this. And we see the evidence of Jesus' preparation, even though he's betrayed by a close friend, even though he's seized by a crowd toting swords and clubs, even though he sees his disciples failing and fleeing and fail, flailing around, what does Jesus have? He has his wits about him. This is so interesting. With all of this going around, Jesus turns to the crowd, and what does he do to them? He rebukes them. Verses 48 and 49, Jesus says, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And so what do we learn in this first scene? Well, we learn that everything, whether that be Judas's treason, the crown's sin, the disciples' cowardness, happened in accordance to the plan of God. So that's the first scene. And we can move to the second scene, the trial of Jesus. And so the story quickly changes settings as we move to the second scene. Verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And we find the reason for this meeting. Verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they, they found none. I've called this a trial, it's traditionally called a trial, but as you look really close at the text, it's not really a trial, it's more like preparation, it's like pre-trial proceedings, the, the work done before a trial. In reality, these, these Jewish leaders had no authority themselves to pass a death sentence or carry out a death sentence against Jesus. They, need, they needed Rome, they needed Pilate for that. And so what these men are doing is they're working hard to find a, a coherent storyline to present Pilate so that Pilate might be forced to deal with the Jesus problem. But we have to understand as we look into this scene that these Jewish leaders weren't only dealing with Pilate or, or Rome, they're also dealing with the crowds. Remember what was driving these men. What was the opinion of the populace? They did not want to arrest Jesus in public during the festival, lest there be an uproar in the city. And so what's going on here? Well, they start this cloak and dagger meeting in the middle of the night so they can spin a story that will turn the populace against Jesus. And so here in this scene, the spin doctors of Israel and, and the, the legal strategists of Israel come together in this room. They're trying to get a storyline together. But here's the problem. They're having trouble getting one. They can't nail this Jesus down. Verses 56 through 58. Mark records, For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree agree. Mark tells us that their wheels are spinning. They're not getting anywhere because it's difficult to condemn an innocent man. And so they, they scrap their storylines and they turn to Jesus to, to question him directly. Verse 60, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus doesn't respond so the high priest turns to him and questions him more specifically. He asks him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? 
This is a staggering question. As readers of Mark's gospel, this should take us back. We should think, well, this is extremely important, and we've heard these phrases throughout Mark's gospel. Remember chapter 1, verse 1. How did the, how did the gospel begin? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then remember what the Father said to Jesus and about Jesus at his baptism and then at his transfiguration. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And then later on he said, you are my be- this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And remember what Peter said in chapter 8. He said, you are the Christ. And so what is the issue here? What's going on in these legal proceedings? Well, it's the identity of Jesus. Now what happens next, what Jesus says next, causes the Jewish leaders to steam. The high priest tears his robe when he hears Jesus speak. And the leaders call for his death when they hear Jesus speak. And some grab him with rage and begin to spit upon him and mock him. And in the end, because of what Jesus says here, they condemn him for blasphemy. And so we ask, well, what did Jesus say to get these men all fired up? Well, look at the text, verse 62. Jesus says, I am. So the chief priest asks, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus says, I am. And so finally, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus gives us clarity. He indeed is the Christ. He is the anointed one who will bring redemption and salvation to God's people. Even more, Jesus confirms that he is the long-promised son of David. And he is going to rule over Israel. Jesus says, I am. But as we think about verse 62, Jesus has answered, that's not blasphemy. It's an astounding claim. It's a, it's a bold claim. It would have been an outrageous claim to Israel's leaders, but that's not blasphemy to, to, to claim that you're a descendant of David and that you have messianic goals for your ministry. What Jesus says next lights these men up. Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. We have heard that phrase already in Mark chapter 13. And what does this mean? Well, in effect, Jesus looks these men in the eye and he says something like this. Though you stand here and judge me right now, there is a coming day, a day you will see with your very eyes when the God of Israel will vindicate me. The God of Israel will come and invest in me all power and glory and dominion, just as Daniel prophesied in chapter 7 of his book. Even more, the, the God of Israel will grant me privilege to sit at his right hand, just as David prophesied in Psalm 110. He will give me sway over the entire world. And guess what? In that day, you will know that I am the Son of Man, because I will judge you. You judge me now? But soon the script will be flipped and I will be in power. So Jesus answers them and he gives them the ammunition that they need to get rid of him. Who is this man who says he can sit at the right hand of God and judge the nations? And so what do we learn in the second scene? Well, again, we learn that everything happened in accordance to the plan of God. Jesus told us that he would be delivered over the Jewish leaders. And he told us they would condemn him to death. And he told us that they would spit upon him and mock him. And guess what? It all happened according to the plan. 
There's scene one, there's scene two, now there's scene three. So Mark moves in scene three, the camera from inside to outside. And so we move from looking at Jesus, now we're to look at Peter. And so while everyone fled for their lives in a panic, Peter had the resolve to track Jesus down and follow Jesus to this scene. Mark tells us in verse 54, And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So here's Peter. He's shown some resolve. He's shown some courage. He's tracking down Jesus. But we quickly see that when the heat's turned up, his resolve, his courage melts away. Jesus predicted back in verse 31 of this very chapter saying, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now the way that Mark records the fulfillment of Jesus' words is striking. It's full of irony. Think about this. Jesus is surrounded by a group of powerful and angry men who slander him. He then is questioned by arguably the most important man in the nation of Israel, the high priest. And what does Jesus do? The spotlight's on him, the pressure's on him. Well, Jesus stands tall and he speaks the truth about himself. I am. But here's Peter. He's in the courtyard. The spotlight's not on him. And who is it that approaches Peter and confronts him? Well, it's not the chief priests. It's not the scribes. It's not the elders of Israel. It's who? It's a, it's a servant girl. And how does Peter respond to the pressure of a servant girl? Well, he crumbles. I neither know nor understand what you mean. He denies the truth and he curses and swears that he is not in league with this Jesus who is on trial. And as we look into this text, we learn that Jesus' words are exactly fulfilled as he said they would be. Nothing is missing. Nothing is out of order. Nothing is out of place. Just as Jesus told us, it has happened. And after the rooster crows a second time, this reality sets into Peter's heart. Verse 72. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. So there we have the text of Scripture in front of us. There we have the story. And as we consider it, we have to reckon that this is a a sobering story to handle, to take in, to digest. Think about where we have traveled in Mark's gospel. Think about how Mark's gospel began. It was a bright beginning. There is Jesus healing the sick. There is Jesus casting out demons. There is Jesus raising the dead. There is Jesus proclaiming with joyous shouts the gospel. God is coming to reign over you. The day of salvation has drawn near. Think about all the momentum. Think about all the buzz that surrounded Jesus. He had the multitudes before him. They eagerly gathered to hear him preach the words. Think about how busy Jesus was with ministry. He barely had time to eat. But all of this has changed. Everything has changed. He is betrayed He's denied by his own disciples. He's slandered by his own people. He's mocked, he's beaten, and he's condemned to death. And so we have to ask our theological question. Why did Jesus die? Or as we think about the the broad narrative of Mark's gospel, why did Jesus' story turn out this way from bright beginning to sad ending? 
Why did this story turn out this way? Why this direction? There are two answers we have to consider. The first answer is this. Jesus' story turned out this way because of the because of the sin of humanity. As we think about this, Mark has told this story to us in a very stunning way. There's a great contrast throughout the story. Jesus is spotless. Jesus is innocent. He has done no wrong. He's only spoken the truth about God. He's only spoken spoken the truth about himself. He's only spoken the truth about Israel. But what is Jesus surrounded by in Mark chapter 14? Well, he's surrounded by... Probably a better word to use would be he's engulfed by sin, treachery, treason. When we look into chapter 14, what do we find? We find an overwhelming record of human sin. One sin listed after a sin after another, after another, after another. And so we ask, well, what is it that brought Jesus to his death? Well, it was human sin. It was the betrayal of Judas. It was the treachery of the scribes, the elders, and the priests. And we can say Jesus died. His story turned out this way because of the sin of humanity. We have to understand the logic of this. Jesus himself helps us understand what's going on here in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Jesus tells us, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. We can apply that to Mark chapter 14. The death of Jesus took place because Judas, because the scribes, the elders, the priests, loved sin. The death of Jesus took place, why? Because the scribes, because Judas, because Israel's leaders hated the Lord. And it's here, when we look into Mark chapter 14, we begin to see sin for what it truly is. Here in chapter 14, all the layers of varnish are stripped away from sin. All the illusions are cast aside once and for all. We learn what sin truly is. Sin at root is not a matter of apathy or carelessness or sloppiness or misguided intentions. No, we see at root sin is a raging hatred against God. And sin left to itself seeks to overthrow God and destroy God. You want to see sin for what it is? We see it right here. That's what sin is at root, always. So why did Jesus die? Why does the story turn out this way? Well, because of the sin of humanity. And there's a second answer. And it's the sovereignty of God. So we can say Jesus died because of sin. But if that was the only answer we could give, chapter 14 would only be a chapter of despair and darkness. And the truth that we have noted throughout this story again and again and again is that everything, absolutely everything, from the biggest of details to the smallest of details, has happened in accordance to the plan and will of God. God knew everything that would happen to Jesus. Even more, God ordained and brought it to pass. And so we ask, well, why did Jesus die? Because God planned it, God willed it, God ordained it. And this is so good. This is so good. This truth fills our passage with hope. What has the Lord done? Well, he has, as the old saying goes, he has drawn a straight line with a crooked stick. 
He has brought about our salvation through the treason of Judas. He has accomplished our redemption through the lying and unjust accusation of Israel's leaders. He's employed the sin of his enemies to end the reign of sin once and for all. God has turned the most wicked and despicable act ever done in human history for the salvation of the world. Because of God's sovereignty, we find in chapter 14 the goodness of the gospel. God draws a straight line with a crooked stick. So why did Jesus die? Because of the human sin and because of God's sovereignty. And so brothers and sisters, we've read the story. We've worked through it verse by verse. We've answered our our theological question. And now we need to turn to application. And the call right now is that we need to do business with this Jesus we find in our Bibles. And so I ask you, do you love this Jesus who was betrayed by Judas? I ask you, do you love this Jesus who received the kiss of Judas? Do you love this Jesus who was captured by a crowd and hauled off? Do you love this Jesus who was tried before Jewish leaders unjustly? Do you love this Jesus who stood tall under the pressure and said the good confession, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven? Do you love this Jesus who was denied three times by Peter? Do you love this Jesus who was mocked? Do you love this Jesus who was spat upon? Do you love the Jesus that you find in Mark chapter 14? And brothers and sisters, I exhort you, look into this text carefully, for it is precious. Do not skip past what you find here. Do not move quickly over, for here in these scenes we find the glorious gospel of grace. Here in these events we find the strength and power of God's kingdom. Here in these terrible deeds committed by men, we find the kindness and the mercy of God. And so I urge you, do business with Jesus. Do business with Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for this word. We are so thankful for this word. We, we need it. And we ask that you would melt our hearts with these, with these words. Father, would you, not, would you leave us not cold? Would you leave us not dull? But would you give us eyes of wonder and hearts of worship? Would you give us faith? Would you give us repentance? Would you give us love? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.